Welcome to the Coalition. Hi, I'm James Guidry, founder and uh, chairman of the board for the Coalition. Uh, we're an advocacy group that uh, actually pride ourselves in advocating for those who are mistreated and looked down upon or because of the cultural differences that they have. Uh, join me in the Next Level Cabinet Conversation with former NFL and NFL players on topics relating to, uh, to race, social injustices, and why it's important for athletes to be at the forefront in addressing these issues and concerns, especially in this moment in our country's history. Coalescing through sports is our best opportunity to end racism in our country and in our world. We pride ourselves on uh, faith-based and principal issues as it relates to biblical principles. Romans 12 and 2 verses 9 and 10 are our core scriptures. And, uh, just a brief synopsis of 12 and 2 is be not conformed to the ways of this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it's an opportunity for us to all reflect and be renewed and uh, be united uh, based upon the level of conviction that we all have. Again, my podcast is always about faith, family, football. And um, I always illustrate that I use sports analogies to compare it to sports issues as well because in sports we have three facets of the game, offense, defense, and special teams. It's first and ten, second and medium, third and short, fourth and inches situations that are in football. We strategically plan for those moments in, in football. And if our original plan is not being effective enough, we go in and make adjustments and come back out and then try to execute it differently. Such is the same way in, in life. First and ten, second and medium, third and short, fourth and inch situations in our lives. We wake up in the morning and we start off our day with a plan. And once we get out into the world, uh, we have to make adjustments uh, as it relates to how we relate to other people who are, have cultural differences than what we have. That's why the scripture Romans 12, 2, verses 9 and 10 also it's so relevant to the coalition because it is a principle that we apply daily as an advocacy organization in order to properly address any adversity that we're confronted with albeit self-inflicted or circumstantial the coalition provides tangible resources and visible assets to help to overcome those adverse moments and to advance your career and help to secure those ambitions through education application and networking so Today, I just want to talk a little bit about Texas a and University Kingsville, which is my alma mater. Uh, I've been asked to and request to sit on the Climate Diversity and Inclusion Committee down there. And it is actually the school that George Floyd also attended. And tonight, there is going to be a candlelight vigil there in, in front of College Hall. I believe it, I believe it begins at 6 p.m. And in honor and recognition of George Floyd and what he represents in this moment and in this time. We all have a history. And my history is probably be similar to a lot of you's history. No one's perfect. We all have had some imperfect moments in our lives. But it's by grace that we are being forgiven when we ask for forgiveness. And you try not to make the same mistakes. Uh, again, and for me to stand in a position of judgment, I'm I'm not, that's above my pay grade. I'm just here to accept 
people for who they are. And then I make the adjustments in my attitude on how my relationship is with them. I'm not here to change people. I'm just here to live by example. I spoke once at the university for prior to a football game. And oftentimes when I go down there, I do devotion for the football team. And there was a former head coach, Coach Atterbury, who was there at the time, and I asked if I can give devotion to the team for the pre-meal, before pre-meal, pre-game meal. And I said, absolutely. So I go back to my hotel room, and I'm sitting, and as I'm there in my hotel room, I'm like, what would I tell the men? What would I speak to the men about? What would you have me to speak to the men about in this moment, in this time? And I got a revelation. And I want to ask everybody else to think about this as well. Michael Jackson wrote a song called Man in the Mirror. And as I was sitting there thinking, this, what would I speak to him about? That came to mind. Man in the Mirror. I'm looking at the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. Asking him to change his ways. So I spoke to them about that. And as I was speaking about the man in the mirror, I talked to them and I, I gave an introduction of when I played ball down there and how much success I had and what I needed to speak to them about, about the topic being man in the mirror, everyone gasped. And they looked at the head coach who actually was sitting, standing next, somewhat, somewhat next to me. And they looked at him as if to say, did you tell him to speak on this? And then, Atta, and then Coach Atterbury just asked me to pause for a second. He wanted to explain to the, everyone that was in the room for devotion that I just want you guys to know I had not had a conversation with him. All I just asked him was to, if he can share a message with us to inspire us for tonight's game. And they all, and I asked, well, what's this all about? Coach Atterbury says, because they all know that, you know, I'm working out or even before a game and also before a game, the song that I am blasting in their ears is Man in the Mirror. And I was, I had chills running up my spine because he and I had not had a conversation at all about what would I speak to the men about. And in that moment, we understood that we were connected. But just thinking and imagine about, imagine this. I lived in Washington, D.C. area at the time. I, I go all the way down to Kingsville, Texas. It's over 1,700, 1,800 miles. And he and I, have, I don't have a conversation with him only to the extent that he asked if I can give devotion. That's the only conversation he had. We had together. And then that was revealed to me that they need to hear Man in the Mirror. And the reason why I'm raising this is because all of us need to take a long look in the mirror. Because we all have character defects. There's no one person better than the other. I don't care your status quo. I don't care um, the, the race and your background. I don't care about who you know and who you're connected with. Because the source that I'm connected with, that I'm plugged into, has all power. And we as a people here in the United States need to come to grips with the fact that we're all going to be different. And race should not be a part of our country. And historically, we understand where the country came from, how it came to where it is today. And historically, we know the bad and the evil 
that was done to countless and countless numbers of people. And we don't want to continue that. In order for us to continue to be a great nation, or to be a greater nation, is that we have to get rid of and eradicate hate for our mankind. And I still today believe that sport is the greatest equalizer to address the ongoing racism in our country. Because when I played professional football, when I was in a locker room, we're different facets of people in there from different religious belief, different ideologies, had different philosophical differences, um, sexual preferences. We had everything in there. We had criminals, and we had faith-based people, and it didn't matter. When we got out on the field, on the gridiron, and we were all competing, any differences that we had prior to getting out on that field, we didn't get out on the field saying, well, I can't block for him, or I can't protect him, or I can't rush to quarterback or I can't make the tackle um, because he's black or he's white or he's Asian or he's Hispanic or he's Muslim faith, he's Christian, he's Catholic, he's Buddhist. That was never a thought (laughs) when we're out on the field competing. And there were racial slurs out on the field as well. Yeah, did it make us feel a certain way? It did. But you only got you only got 25, 30 seconds to process for the next play instead of addressing a racist issue on the field. You're not thinking about that. You're thinking about trying to win that game. And and furthermore, the entertainment value for the fans, the fans were loving just to see the competition on the field. And there were blacks in the stands, there were whites in the stands, there were Hispanics in the stands, there were Asians in the stands. There are Muslims in the stands, there are Christians in the stands, there are Buddhists in the stands, Catholics in the stands, Europeans in the stands, Americans in the stands, Africans in the stands, Australians are in the stands, Mexicans in the stands, Canadians were in the stands, Asians were in the stands, watching us compete. We all were in the same arena, the same venue cheering for our favorite team our favorite player I'm not going to sit here and, and, and say I, you know my question is how is it that you can be so critical of a person because of the color of his skin and not the context of his character but when you see him performing in the NBA oh that guy is unbelievable He's, he's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time in the NBA. But when he was a kid and he jumped in the swimming pool, white parents made their white kids get out of the pool. And, and, and I promise you, as they witnessed this man become the greatest NBA player ever by far, they were rooting for him. If they were Chicago Bulls fans, but they're teaching these white parents, teaching their white kids, oh, you can't mingle with someone like that. Why? 
He was a young kid swimming in a public pool. What harm was that? That you made your kids get out of the pool. What are you teaching your kids? We hold this truth to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That's not what you were practicing in that moment. If your kids read the Constitution and the Bill and the, uh, the Declaration of Independence, such as we all have, why didn't they ask their parents like, "Why? Why are you making us get out of the pool, Mom, Dad?" I don't see him. He doesn't have a tail like you said he does. He doesn't look like he has monkey features because if he looks like he has monkey features, I. I definitely look like I have monkey features too because he looks like a human to me. We have to eradicate the hate. And when I represented football players at the NFL Players Association, I didn't care if you were black, white, Hispanic, whatever your sexual preferences were. I cared about you as a man and your family. I was the main plaintiff in a major lawsuit I guess the Arena Football League in 2000, early 2000, 2001. And when I represented those men, it wasn't just black men I was representing. I was representing all mankind who played the game. And I was just fighting for basic freedom. Imagine that, just freedom. I wanted to be free. So that's all I was fighting for. And just other fundamental rights. The freedom of movement in the marketplace. I don't file an antitrust law case, uh, antitrust lawsuit against them. And I won, I won my case. I won my case handedly because of the support and the unification of all the men at that time, diff, different culture, differences in, in beliefs and ideology and philosophical differences. We came together, united, and we won our case. And as a result of that, salaries increased and they also got fringe benefits overnight. That's what we do. That's what sports does. And as a result of that, many people say by default, okay, say by default, but I ended up working at the NFL Player Association, brought in house by Gene Upshaw, may he rest in heaven, a former executive director of the NFL Players Association, brought me in house to be the sole employee for the Arena Football League Players Association. And uh, Gene passed away in 2008, August of 2008. We had so we had media come into the building, and they did a. They were asking questions to everyone who actually was a staff at that time, who worked alongside Gene. What did he mean to the organization? What did he mean to the NFL? Who was he? Sort of give a background, and everyone talked about his football career. Everyone talked about what he had done to fight for freedom through the Freeman McNeil lawsuit and then the Keith Jackson lawsuit and the Reggie White lawsuit and how he continued to extend that deal over the years to continue to fight for increases in salaries and players' uh, benefits, post-career benefits for former players as well. And they're asking people who had probably worked with Gene for 20 plus years. I only worked with Gene for five years. But in those five years, I worked alongside Gene Upshaw. They asked me a question, what did Gene mean to the NFL Players Association? And these are my exact words. 
the video is there. They want to pull the video up. It's, it's recorded if they still save the, my interview. My question was, my question, when they asked me the question, what did Gene mean to the NFL Player Association? My response to them was, you guys thought this was about football? And their response to me was, yeah, it is about football, isn't it? And I responded to them with, this was not about football. It wasn't solely about football for Gene Upshaw. This was about civil rights. And their eyes got wide. And as I elaborated, I talked to them about how football was a platform for him to address the social injustices that were going on for all people at that time. When you try to put restrictions on any human and oppress them in any form, that's that's an injustice. And if it impacts or affects one of us, it affects all Americans. So Gene didn't go to bat and fight just for black athletes because they weren't the only ones on the field that were playing. He fought for all players, different colors, different religious belief, different preferences. And he fought for all players. And that's what I have took and learned from him. That when I take this stance and when I take this position and I represent players on a daily basis, I don't just represent one culture of players. I represent all players. And that's the type of leadership we need to have in this country. You represent all Americans in spite of their cultural differences. And just because they have cultural differences, you don't drive a you don't continue to drive a wedge between you and someone else. Your responsibility is to unite and you fight for the common good of all human beings. So I'm on the Climate, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee here at Texas A&M University, Kingsville. This is what I represent. I have a good relationship with some of the current faculty and staff that are down there. I, I, I had some good success there. First black quarterback to take our university to the playoffs in the NCAA playoff system in 1988. Um, we made it all the way to the semifinals and we ended up losing to Portland State in the semifinal match but the historical value behind that was that in that time the year before 1987 Doug Wiesner just won the Super Bowl was the first black quarterback to do so in NFL history so just think how inspired I was to come back my senior year in 1988 to go out and compete And Doug even asked a question when he was being interviewed for the Super Bowl, what does it feel like to be a black quarterback to play in the Super Bowl? And in the back of his mind, he was like, why do I have to be a black quarterback? Why can't I just be a quarterback to play in the Super Bowl? And those types of questions and provocative questions and that building that difference and maintaining that posture that you are different than a Mark Ripken Mark Ripken who was the back who was the quarterback who ended up getting injured and Doug Williams replaced him that you're not on the same page as a Mark Ripken and you're different than he is you're not considered 
just an athlete performing for the Washington Redskins, but you're a black athlete performing for the Washington Redskins. We have to get away from that. It's something hard to, to do, but I give everyone equal credibility across the board until you show me something differently about yourself. I don't judge you when I see you. And and it's so difficult. And I hear a lot of my young brothers and sisters out there, and even my son, how he says he has anxieties just when a police officer drives by. Or just when he sees a man or woman in uniform, police uniform, he admits that he gets a little afraid. 